The following Lighthouse Talk is produced and distributed by the Augustan Institute. Our mission is to help you understand, live, and share your Catholic faith. Dr. Michael Patrick Barber is Associate Professor of Sacred Scripture and Theology at the Augustan Institute Graduate School of Theology. He has authored scholarly articles and book reviews for academic journals and has written a number of books, including Salvation, What Every Catholic Should Know, co-published by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press. He is also the author and presenter of the AI Original Bible Study Series Lectio, Salvation, streaming now on formed.org. Dr. Barber speaks at parishes and Catholic events nationwide, giving talks on the Bible and theology, leading parish missions, and presenting at conferences. You can find him online at thesacredpage.com. Dr. Barber and his wife, Kimberly, live in Aurora, Colorado with their six children. Here now is Dr. Michael Patrick Barber. All right. I wanted to talk a little bit about the origins of historical criticism and some of the Enlightenment philosophers. So we're going to work a little bit through Kant. <laughs> then after that, we will... No, we won't. Why don't we begin with a prayer? This is my favorite prayer, and if you take a class with me, you're going to end up knowing this prayer by heart. This is a prayer attributed to St. Thomas Aquinas. It's the prayer before Study. This is my favorite uh, prayer. Uh, I, I uh, my favorite prayer before a talk and before class. It really sums up the intentions of students. And of course, all of us are students. Uh, if we stop being students, then we stop being disciples because that's what it means to be a disciple. As we'll talk about a little bit later, it means to be a student. So uh, this is. Um, this is the prayer before study attributed to St. Thomas Aquinas. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Ineffable creator, you are proclaimed the true font of light and wisdom and the primal origin raised high beyond all things. Pour forth a ray of your brightness into the darkened places of my mind. Disperse from my soul the twofold darkness into which I was born, sin and ignorance. You make eloquent the tongues of infants, Refine my speech and pour forth upon my lips the goodness of your blessing. Grant to me keenness of mind, capacity to remember, skill in learning, subtlety to interpret, and eloquence in speech. May you guide the beginning of my work, direct its progress, and bring it to completion. You who are true God and true man, who live and reign, world without end. Amen. St. Augustine, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. St. Paul, pray for us. Our Lady Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I think we all know that if we're going to do theology well, we have to, as it's often said, do theology from our knees, all right? There is an inseparable connection between prayer and study. And what I really want to help you think through as we begin this year is how these things belong together. Because a lot of times I think we often divorce them. We often take an approach to our prayer life that is, if not unintellectual, it's anti-intellectual. And at the same time, I think oftentimes we can end up pursuing our studies in a way that isn't fully integrated with our prayer life. So I want to bring these two things together here. And really, this is a deep conviction of mine from my own life. So I grew up in a devout Catholic family. And uh, when I was a little kid, I'll tell you, my religion was baseball. Uh, it, <laughs> uh, Yes, we went to church on Sunday, but I remember just 
being so frustrated that I, I got to stay home from school on two days a week. And one of those days I had to go to church. Inevitably, I would miss a baseball game, one of the two that, you know, I would have been home to be able to watch on TV. And I was always frustrated about that when I was a little kid. You know, baseball, as I've come to see, is very Catholic, right? It is the most biblical sport. <laughs> this is true. The first words in the whole Bible are in the big inning, right? It's right there. You can't miss it. If you go to a baseball game, it's very, very familiar if you're a Catholic. Everybody gets together. There's usually an organist. People stand up. They sing a song. People stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. They chant. There's a guy on a mountain reminding people, thou shalt not steal. <laughs> people sacrifice. And everybody leaves early to beat the traffic in the parking lot. It's very similar to things that we are familiar with as Catholics. And so it was natural for me as a young man to connect my spirituality with baseball, or so I thought. And so I really wasn't interested in my faith. I went to Catholic school, um, but you know, they didn't really teach us. We drew pictures of Jesus for religion class. That was my religious education. And so my dad came home from work one day with a cassette tape by this, uh, I assume, Asian theologian named Scott Hahn. <laughs> and, and, I, and he's like, you've got to listen to this. This is really good. And, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. I'm not interested. And do you know me? I, I, I mean, do, I'm your son. Do, do you know anything about me? You think I'm going to listen to a lecture on cassette tape? I mean, that's just not going to happen. And he insisted that I listen to it. And I just put him off, put him off for about two weeks. Finally, I got to a weekend. It was raining. My baseball game was canceled. Uh, there was nothing to do because there was no baseball. So that's the only thing, right? So... Uh, so I was supposed to go out with some friends to play baseball. It was all canceled. So what, what, what could I do? So I just got some new baseball cards. So I was about 12 years old, got some new baseball cards, and I'm putting my new baseball cards in their binders very carefully because they're very expensive baseball cards <clears throat> for me at that age. And so I was taking, taking care of them, and I realized there was that cassette tape that's been on my night table I better listen to this thing, get my dad off my back. I put the cassette tape in, I listen to it, and I hear this talk about the Eucharist is the new Passover meal. And he's, Dr. Ron's talking about all this. And I was fascinated. I never knew why we called him the Lamb of God. That made no sense to me. I don't understand. What, why is he called the Lamb of God? We have a big picture of a lamb on our altar at our parish church. It was always just weird that we had a lamb on it. it no one ever explained to me the, Im the, the, the imagery, the symbolism. I later told my dad what a revelation this was. He was shocked. He was like, aren't you getting this at your Catholic school paying a lot of money for that? No, I never knew this. And I remember I was listening to it and I caught myself in the mirror on the other side of the room like this. <laughs> I was stunned for the first time Aspects of my faith were coming together. And I, had, I was so fascinated by it, uh, I ended up reaching out to Dr. Hahn, who was Professor Hahn back then, and had a nice phone call with him. And then my uncle, who's a priest, found out that his nephew was interested in this stuff. So he started giving me all these books, and, and he really was influential in getting me interested in theology. And by the end of the year, I was telling my dad, I know what I want to do. I want to get my my PhD in this, whatever that means, that's what I want. I want so from the time I was 12, 13, uh, this is what I've always wanted to do. Uh, and it all just sprung from this reality that when you understand your faith, right, all of a sudden you can love it better, right? You can't love what you don't know, right? And the more you love something, the more you want to know about it, right? So for me, this has been very important for 
my teaching and from my own spiritual life, but I also hope to convey this, this need and this, this importance of integrating study and prayer for all of you. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, have it there on your handout. Um, I, I tend, I like to have handouts. I like to teach from the Bible. So I want you to see the passage and I want you to be able to reflect on it. Here's what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. I am the vine, you are the branches. And of course, he says this in the Last Supper discourse, right? And what do you get from vines? Grapes, right? So it's Eucharistic imagery here, as many people have pointed out. Here at the Last Supper, I am the vine, you are the branches. Through the Eucharist, we are united to Christ. Whoever abides in me remains in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can only do a few good things. <laughs> is that what it says? No. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing? There's a really simple way to understand, to, to, to diagnose yourself, to, to recognize whether you really believe that or not. If you can go through your whole day without any time for serious mental prayer, then you know what you told Jesus that day? It's a, I got it. I, I don't need you. I, I, I got it covered, All right? If you can go through your whole day without serious time in prayer with Jesus, where you're saying is, I can actually do many things without you. Right? I don't mean just an Our Father. I don't mean just some formulaic prayer. I mean real substantive time in prayer. If you can go through your whole day without dedicating yourself to that, then what you're telling the Lord is other things is more important. Other things are more important. Right? We all have a a busy schedule. We all have a long list of things we got to get done every day. The easiest thing to do is to cross prayer off that list. And why is it so easy? Because oftentimes we don't really know how to engage in it. St. Paul, Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. What? Paul says we don't know how to pray as we ought. Have you ever felt like, I don't know if I'm doing this prayer thing right. I don't know if I'm praying right. Ever, ever had that experience? I've had that experience. You know, when I was a kid, I remember I made my, my first communion. I remember my first communion vividly. Mrs. Lampert was my teacher. And we learned all kinds of prayers for confirmation, I mean, for our first confession and first communion. And I, it's, it's like it's yesterday. I received my first Holy Communion, went back into the pew like we practiced, knelt down, and I said, an Our Father, I said, a Hail Mary, and I said, a Glory Be. I, I remember it so well. And then I finished my prayers. And so my bottom started to lean back a little <laughs> and, and rest on the pew. And it was like, Mrs. Lampert was there, right? She's like, Michael. Pray. I said, I already prayed. <laughs> I did. I think this is exactly what happened. This is not an exaggeration. I said, I already prayed. She said, well, keep praying. I remember thinking, well, now what do I do? <laughs> I said all the prayers I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm heartily sorry. And that's what I did. I said the act of contrition. It was a new one, but I had memorized it. And so I did that. And I was done. And then I, I don't know, well, what do I pray? And I remember we would, we would go to mass as a class after that every, every week. And I actually, I still, there's one last memory from the first communion. I remember sitting there thinking, well, now I don't know what to do. I finished all my prayers. So I remember staring at the wood patterns on the pew in front of me and thinking, that looks like an alligator. <laughs> I, that, I totally remember that from my first communion, right? <laughs> I was like, that looks like the eye and the mouth, the snout. I was like doing it in my mind. And every Sunday when we go to mass, even after that, even, even to this day, when I'm in my parents' parents, I'm like, where's that alligator? <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Still do it, right? 
because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know, I didn't know how to pray. And then we would go to mass as a class. And we'd go in there, and we'd go in there before mass started, and there'd be all these old ladies. And they were praying. And they were so praying so hard. And, I, and, I, and then after, we, after mass, we'd go back to class, they'd still be there. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, maybe they're crazy. <laughs> because I don't know what they're doing the whole time. And St. Paul himself, he says, we do not know how to pray as we ought. He says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And that's the first thing to point out. There's no technique to prayer, right? First, off, first and foremost, it's not about a technique, right? It's about being with the Lord and, and surrendering yourself to the Spirit, right? That's really hard because we have all kinds of anxieties. We have all, ki all kinds of concerns, Right? We, as soon as we go to pray, we start thinking of all the things we're supposed to be doing other than praying. Got this homework to do. Got to call my buddy, right? First thing we need to do is trust in the Lord. Jesus shows us how important it is to pray, though. Even though it's hard, Jesus does it himself. We read in Luke 6, for example, in these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. All night he was praying. I thought the old ladies were crazy. All night, what's he doing all night? How do you pray all night? What's going on here? If there's ever a person in human history who could say, you know, I've got a little bit of time and a lot to do, it would have been Jesus. <laughs> what a colossal waste of time. What about all those people in India he could have talked to? What's he doing up on a mountain? He's giving us an important example. We can always come up with more things that we can do for mission. We can always think of other ways we can help each other. But the first priority has always got to be prayer. Because apart from the Lord, we can do nothing. Amen? Amen? In Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, and when you pray, notice he doesn't say if you pray. <laughs> and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you go to pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So prayer isn't just about communal prayer. That's an important dimension of prayer. Of course, the liturgy is very important. But Jesus wants us to go into our own rooms and close the door and pray by ourselves. This is essential. So what is prayer all about? Well, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is a beautiful section on prayer, and we don't have time to go into it in much detail. I want to give you a couple of lines. Catechism of the Catholic Church 2709. What is contemplative prayer? St. Teresa of Avila answers, contemplative prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than a close sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. Prayer is a conversation, right? Another example of prayer in scripture, or it, well, an example of prayer in scripture that the catechism uses is Moses. Catechism of the Catholic Church 2576. Moses' prayer is characteristic of contemplative prayer by which God's servant remains faithful to his mission. Moses converses with God often and at length, climbing the mountain to hear and entreat him and coming down to the people to repeat the words of his God for their guidance. Now, notice the catechism uses two words there, often and at length. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is a conversation. That's the first point for the second is Moses is a model for prayer because he gives us two important models. He talks to God often and at length. In order to have a relationship with someone, you need to have a conversation with them, right? You can't be friends with someone you don't talk to, right? Um, and if you are friends with someone and you move away or you get busy in life and you don't talk, what happens? Well, you say, we drifted apart, right? And you might call them up on the phone and try to reconnect, 
but you have disconnected because you've lost that conversation, right? You need to talk often. In order for a relationship to be meaningful, you have to speak often with another person, right? If you don't speak to them often, then you'll remain cordial, but that friendship won't have the same kind of depth that it had when you were talking the way you normally talk, right? So uh, if you are, I, I remember when I first met my wife and we started dating, we'd go out to dinner and we'd be talking for hours and hours. It was amazing, right? And the more we talked, the more we got to know each other, the more drawn we were to each other and eventually love each other and then get married, right? Conversation is crucial and everybody knows in any relationship, if you don't keep the lines of communication open, relationship will fall apart. Gotta speak often. But it's not enough to just speak often. It's not enough to just talk often to someone. I talk to many people all the time. When I lived in San Diego, I knew the cashier at In-N-Out very well. <laughs> I talked to him extremely often, probably once a week, <laughs> more than that, right? <laughs> I got to know him very often. I, my neighbor, I knew my neighbor, I saw my neighbor Frank, talked to him all the time. We talked often. Every Monday, we'd both be out there getting the rubbish barrels, right? Taking them out to the curb. Get the, oh, hey, Frank, how's it going? It's going well. How's your family? Doing well. How about this weather we're having? Crazy. Yeah. It's a, go get the other one. All right. How about that sports team we both root for? Yeah, it's really frustrating. Oh, but we'll be better next year. Okay. All right. See you later. Right. I talk to Frank often, but not at length. So it's not just enough to talk often. You have to have in-depth conversations in order for a relationship to reach a meaningful level, right? Okay, well, obviously this is true for our relationship with God. In order to have a meaningful relationship with God, we have to talk with him. We have to have conversation with him. And we have to talk with him often, and at length. It's not simply enough to say, oh yeah, I said my prayers today, I got my Hail Mary in, glory be. No, we gotta also talk at length. But how do we do that? How do you talk with God? We have to have a conversation with God. Do you have people in your life that don't talk with you, they talk at you? Do you know anybody like this? You see their name on the phone, on the phone you know, the caller ID, you're like, oh, it's Bill. <laughs> Hi, Bill. And it's just like, it's talking at you the whole time. And you're waiting for them to take a breath. You say, okay, I got to go now. All right, bye. Right? Do you know people like that? Or they only call you when they want something from you. It's like being a parent to little kids, right? They only talk to you when, Daddy, I love you so much. What do you want? <laughs> what kind of relationship can you have with someone who doesn't listen to you? Not a very good one, right? Because a conversation has to be a two-way street. So now apply this to the spiritual life. In order for us to have a meaningful relationship with God, we have to talk with him often and at length. And it has to be a conversation. It can't just be us talking at him. We have to be listening. So how do we hear God speak to us? Well, Dr. Gray will tell you the Augustine Institute is working on an amazing new invention. It's this red phone. And you can take it to the chapel with you. And if you're really holy, it might ring. No, just kidding. That's not right. No. How do you hear God speak to you? How do we? So I think some people imagine that there's got to be like some like device, some technique. I fast for three days. I don't eat anything. And then I'll have a locution. And then God will speak to me. No. All right. That's not the, the normal way the church understands the way God speaks to us. Here's how the church understands God speaking to us. Second Vatican Council, Dei Verbum. In the sacred books of scripture, the father who is in heaven comes lovingly to meet his children and talks with them. How do you hear God speak to you? You hear him speak to you in sacred scripture because the Bible isn't just what God said, it's what God says. 
I love St. Augustine. I love St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Thomas Aquinas. We will never read them at Mass. We will never read St. John Paul II instead of the Gospel. Because only Scripture is inspired in the way that Scripture is inspired to be the Word of God in the words of men. Scripture is unlike anything else you can read. There is nothing like it. It's the word of God and the very words of God to summarize Dei Verbum chapter 11, all right? In sacred scripture, we hear God speak to us. Have you ever had the experience of going to mass, hearing the reading and thinking, how did they know to read that today? You know, I was uh, making a big decision in my life uh, a few years ago, about four years ago now, three, three and a half years ago. I was in San Diego. All my family is in California. All my wife's family is in California. And there was this amazing place, the Augustine Institute, and they had an opening. And I had to decide, is this really what the Lord wants? For us to leave everything and everyone we know, all of our family, all of our friends, in and out. <laughs> that was part of the deliberation. <laughs> Is this really what the Lord wants? And we went to, we came to the Augusta Institute to talk to Dr. Gray. I don't know if you remember this. We went to mass that day and we're sitting there, my wife and I, and we're, Lord, what do you want us to do? First reading, God calls Abram out from the land of Ur. And my wife and I are looking at each other like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Have you ever had that experience before? I remember there were these wildfires, just like we're having here in San Diego when I was teaching at John Paul the Great Catholic University. And there were these fires and they were getting kind of close to the university. They weren't that close, but they were getting close for me because I had a lot of books there. <laughs> and I was getting nervous. So one day in just a panic attack, I went upstairs and I just started taking all of my best books and filled them up in my car. It's like, if I got to get out of here, I'm going to get out of here in time. I filled up every nook and cranny, the entire trunk, even the dashboard, which was not safe. Don't do this. <laughs> and I had books everywhere. And it was the end of the day, and it was time for mass. And I remembered, oh, yeah, there's a 5 o'clock mass. I can make it. So I drove down the street. I couldn't even see outside the window to the left. It was just kind of like, I think it's okay. I don't know. Drove down to the church. This is how badly attached I am to my books. We got to the, I got to the church. I was by myself. Got to the church. And I couldn't go in because I was like, should I leave all the books in the parking lot? I don't know. Like, there's a big black market, you know, for, for theology books that have been all marked up by Michael Barber, you know. But finally, I pulled myself away, got inside the church. It was late. I was a little bit late. I got there just in time for the gospel. I remember zipping into the pew, reading from the gospel of Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, I've come to set the world on fire. <laughs> Actually, the reading. Actually, the reading. And I was like, okay, Lord, I got it. I got it. <laughs> Ever had that experience? The Lord is always speaking to us in Scripture. Always. Now, sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes it's not clear. Sometimes it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob and his brothers, and Jacob was the father of Judah, and Judah was the father of... And you're like... The word of the Lord, thanks be to God, I guess, I guess, I guess. Sometimes it's not clear, but you know what? Even in those readings, God has got something for you. But we don't know how to interpret it. We don't know how to hear it. In order to really hear the Lord speak to us, what we need to learn is meditation. What we need to learn is what we call Lexio Divina. And by the way, and Dr. Gray, I'm not just saying this because you're here, and I'm not just saying, he has a super fantastic book on Lexio Divina, and we have it in our bookstore. It's called Reading Scripture for a Change. Highly recommend it. I used to make all of my students at my old institution read it before their first class. Really, really good book, right? So here I just want to talk a little bit about it, but one of the best investments you can make is going to the bookstore, Total Legend. Go ahead and pick up that book. What does it say? Catechism of the Catholic Church. Christians owe it to themselves to develop the desire to meditate regularly 
lest they come to resemble the first three kinds of soil in the parable of the sower. Huh? Okay, so apparently the parable of the sower is about meditation. Let's take a look at the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they had not much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell upon thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And later the disciples come to Jesus and they say, so what the hell was that all about? <laughs> they, they don't know. They have no idea. Jesus, what are you talking about? And so Jesus has to explain to them his parable, right? Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, did you catch that? Hear the word and not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is what's sown on the path. So seeds on the path, the birds come, they gobble it up. That's the person who hears the word, but they don't really understand it. It goes in one ear, out the other, they're not really paying attention. That's never happened to me at Mass, but I'm sure it's happened to somebody. Where, you know, you went to Mass and they read the readings and you're like, I have no idea what the readings were. I wasn't really paying attention. What's this homily about anyway? That's never happened to me, but. <laughs> As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is a spiritual equivalent to you're up late, you have insomnia, you can't sleep, you're like, I gotta watch something on television. You turn something, it's like nothing on, nothing on. And then you just happen to land on that infomercial for the greatest exercise machine ever. <laughs> this is it. This will get me in shape. This is what's going to fix me. It's only four easy payments. I never know why it's like three easy payments, but the last one's going to be really hard. No, it's four easy payments. You're like, I got to do it. This is it. You get all excited about the exercise machine coming. You start to get, you go out and get exercise clothes. You get energy drinks. I'm so ready. Thing comes in the mail. Finally, you do it. It's like, oh, this is harder than I thought. Next day you wake up, you're hurting all over. Like, is there even a muscle there? I don't even. Second day you're doing it, but it's more painful. Third day you're like, I'm going to take a break. By the end of the week, it's in the garage. Right? This is the spiritual equivalent of that. You hear the word, you're all excited. Oh, I'm going to go evangelize the world. I'm going to study scripture. I'm going to do all this. What the heck is Leviticus about? Right? And so. It gets difficult. Persecution comes, whatever it is, it gets hard, you fall away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is he who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the delight and riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Yes, I want to love Jesus. I also want to be famous and make a lot of money. Yes, I want to be a missionary because I have so many great gifts and God has blessed me so much with these talents. And people are so lucky to learn from me. And oh, wait a minute. The worldly desires choke it all out. As for what was sown on good soil, this is he who hears the word and what? Understands it. This is he who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. So let's go through the different kinds of soil again. The path, the ones on the path eaten by the birds, the one who hears the word does not understand it. The evil one snatches it away. Number two, on the rocky soil, it starts to grow up. It's too, there's, there's no root. 
the heat comes down on the rocks, scorches it. It's the person who receives the word with joy, but as soon as it gets hot, as soon as the heat gets turned on them, as soon as it becomes difficult, they fall away. On the thorns, it's choked, right? That's the one who hears the word with the cares of the world, delighting riches, choke it, becomes unfruitful. The good soil falls on the one who hears the word and understands it. See, that's what meditation is about. This is what, this is how people pray all through the night. Is prayer isn't just a monologue. It's not just, okay, God, give me this, give me that, bless this, bless that, bless this, bless that. Our Father, Hail Mary, glory be, amen. <laughs> that's not prayer. At least that's not sufficiently prayer. Because if you're just talking at God, you're not having a conversation with him. In order to hear him, you've got to open up the word. You got to open up your Bible and sit there and say, now, what is he trying to tell me in this passage? And if it doesn't leap off the page at you, that's great. Because you don't find diamonds just sitting on the topsoil. The diamonds are only found through some real hard digging. And if you're not willing to dig, you're never going to find the diamonds. If you want to hear what the Lord is saying to you, you need to take time every day, not just to say your prayers, but to listen to the Lord speak to you in scripture every day. Go to the chapel, open up your Bible, sit under one of those lights in the, on the side so you can see. <laughs> open up your Bible and, and, and read sacred scripture and hear the Lord speaking to you. Because the spiritual life can't just be about your emotions. Jesus makes this very clear when he gives us the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt not murder. No, that's not the greatest. What's the greatest commandment? When the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees, there are different groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, different Jews believe different things. The Pharisees believed in resurrection. They believed in angels. They believed in life after death. The Sadducees did not. That's why they're sad, you see. <laughs> they disagreed about all kinds of things. But one thing they agreed upon was the need to silence Jesus. And Jesus refuted them. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your emotions. <laughs> no with all your feelings, with all the feels. <laughs> the greatest commandment, love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. Now this gets twisted in lots of strange ways. Some people think loving the Lord with all your heart does mean like having warm and fuzzy feelings. That's not what the heart meant for ancient Jews or for ancient Christian writers, right? The heart is not just your emotions, the way you feel. For example, in Matthew, same gospel, Matthew 15, Jesus says, out of the heart come evil, what does it say? Evil thoughts. Out of your heart come thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. People have some very strange ideas about the heart. People have almost a kind of like, it's like a Gnosticism, like secret knowledge about the heart. How do, you, how do you know what the Lord wants you to do? I need to go with my heart, which basically means I need to go with my feelings. You can almost substitute the word gut for heart. When a lot of people, and the heart becomes like this mysterious thing. It's like Selena Gomez has this song, The Heart Wants What the Heart Wants. Have you heard that song? It's a horrible song. It's basically, I can't control who I love. This is what people think. The, the heart is like irrational. Like I, fe I fell in love. It's like, a, it's like a trap. It's like a pit. I was just walking, I fell in love. Oh, I fell in here. I can't get out. I guess I have to commit adultery. I mean, that's seriously how people think about the heart. Be careful about the heart 
Be very, I mean, all of your professors are aware of what the heart meant for ancient Jews. Be careful about what you say about the heart in your papers, all right? Because the heart isn't just like this unknowable thing. I gotta search, I gotta go with my heart, not my head. What is that? What's more important, your head or your heart? Let's see, they're both important, right? If you cut your head off, you're in trouble. <laughs> right? You need them both. <laughs> right? And so we read in the Gospel of Luke, Simeon blessed, Ma blessed Mary and Joseph and Jesus and said to Mary, Blessed, the, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. A sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts out of many hearts will be revealed. What is the heart? The catechism says the heart is the place of decision. The heart is the place of decision, deeper than our psychic drives. The heart is deeper than your emotions. I got to go with what my heart tells me. Well, I don't know what that means. Is that your heart or is that the pizza you ate last night? What is that? <laughs> you got to be really careful about this. The heart, it's a place of the decision deeper than our psychic drives. It is a place of truth where we choose life and death. What does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? It means to love the Lord by making a decision for him, by giving your will to him, right? It doesn't mean your feelings, your emotions. Your feelings and emotions are going to come and go in the spiritual life, right? In fact, the more you grow in the spiritual life, the more you'll find the emotions go away, right? In a relationship, when you first start dating, like you hold hands, put your ah. <laughs> kiss on the cheek. Ooh. A few years later, you go for the hand, it's not like, ooh, it's like, it's like what? <laughs> Didn't go. Ah. Oh, great. I mean, the, the feelings come and go. Right? But the emotions aren't what matter in your spiritual life. So it's not just love the Lord with all your heart. Love the Lord with all your soul. What's this? Your soul. It's your life. Right? Your spirit. Right? The principle of, of life in you. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. St. Augustine, our patron, summarizes it this way. You are to concentrate all your thoughts. Notice what he says for the heart is thoughts. All your, your whole life and your whole intelligence upon him from whom you derive all that you bring. I emphasize this because we live in a culture that downplays the importance of the mind. That wants to downplay truth. Truth doesn't matter. All that really matters is how that statement makes me feel. Oh, I don't like that statement. That, that's offensive to me. That, that, that statement is not convenient for me. Sorry, it's the truth, right? We live in a culture that wants to downplay the mind. And I see this not just in the world, but also in the church, my friends. I, I, I'm not gonna hear it here, but you'll hear homilies where the bad guys are just all the scholars, all the theologians. I remember, one priest I used to know who used to say frequently, you don't need theology. All you need is Jesus in your heart. You say that all the time. He's no longer a priest, sadly now. But you say that all the time. You don't need theology. What he's saying is you don't need your mind. Right? You can't know what you don't love. Right? So the mind is of critical importance to the spiritual life. Love the Lord with all your mind. This is what we're all called to be. We're all called to be disciples. And the Greek word for disciple, mathetes, literally means students. And here's, this is gonna be shocking. It's, this is gonna be controversial. Here it comes, brace yourself. Do you know what students do? They study. <laughs> students have to study. Now, it doesn't mean that all Christians are called to get advanced degrees in theology, but to live the Christian life, we all need to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. 
And I get really frustrated as a Catholic Bible scholar, theologian, where people, I'll give a talk and say, so what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway? It's true. That's the takeaway. This is true, right? Because what often people want to do is, well, what can I do with that truth? Oh, I want to take your class because I really want to know how to answer my Protestant friend who thinks this about faith and works. And so we oftentimes reduce knowledge to an, a means to an end. We instrumentalize truth. I want to know this truth so I can do something with it. But here's what Jesus is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Knowing the truth is personal for us as Catholics. Jesus is the truth, right? And so, you know, it bothers me when people say, so what's the takeaway? It's true. That's the truth. I'm sorry. You have to be able to use it for something. What can you do with the Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. What can you use that for? If you're studying God in order to, like, just use that knowledge for something, rather than to just come to know him, you're missing the point of your classes. You're missing the point of lexio, prayer, right? Reading scripture. We want to know what it is God has to teach us, not just so we can use it for some purpose. When I was teaching in another institution, I told a friend of mine, I was teaching a graduate course on the Trinity. So we're having lunch. I said, I'm teaching a class on the Trinity. She said, oh, how awful. She said, I would never take that class. I said, oh, okay. Why, why is that? And she said, is it true that there are three persons and one God? And I said, yeah. She said, that's all I want to know. I don't want to be confused. I don't want to have all this other stuff floating around. It might confuse me. Three persons, one God, got it. So we finished having lunch, and I remember went back to my office. I was sitting in my office. I was so sad. I was thinking, why am I sad? And I remembered that comment. I was like, yeah, that made me sad. And then I thought, why am I sad about it? It's my ego? Like, oh, well, she should be dying to take all of my classes. Yeah? <laughs> no, that's not it. Why am I sad? This is why I'm sad. Because the more you love someone, the more you want to know about them. What would it be like if I first met my wife and we're going out to dinner? I'm like, okay, tell me, what's your favorite food? Mexican, got it. <laughs> favorite color? Scarlet, got it. Uh, let's see, uh, when's your birthday? September 3rd, all right. Now don't tell me anything else about you. I don't want to get confused. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine saying that to someone? I love you so much, I don't want to know anything else about you. The more you love someone, the more you want to know about them. And the more you know them, the more you love them, right? That's why we learn theology, right? Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Any authentic Christian conversion is going to involve changing your mind. If you're not willing to change your mind, if you're not, I mean, obviously in a way that conforms with truth, right? If you're not willing to learn more and to have your mind transformed, you can't really have an authentic Christian conversion, according to St. Paul, right? St. Jose Maria Escriva says this, you pray, you deny yourself, you work in a thousand apostolic activities, but you don't study. You are useless unless you change. Or I love this one. Another quotation from uh, Jose, St. Jose Maria. You frequent the sacraments. You pray. You are chaste, but you do not study. Don't tell me you're good. You're only good-ish. <laughs> Don't be good-ish. Study, right? Let your classes be study for you. I have a good friend, he's a Dominican. And he talks about, have you ever heard of the wood of the cross? He talks about the wood of the desk. Because you know you're supposed to write that paper? 
All right, gotta write that paper. And here's that cursor, it's flashing at you. <laughs> Webster's Dictionary defines theology as, nah, it's cheesy. <laughs> the Catechism defines theology as, <laughs> I'm gonna go get a drink. Get your drink, come back. All right, now what am I gonna say? I gotta go to the bathroom. All right. <laughs> Ever had this experience before? Yes. The wood of the desk? Let yourself be crucified to the wood of the desk. Let your prayer and your study come together in your academic work. Let your study be a reflection of the fact that you love the Lord. And so you want to know as much about him as you possibly can. Don't run away from the wood of the desk. Be willing to be nailed there. Right? You won't be able to do this, though, without prayer. It's absolutely essential. And one of the most important prayers, the rosary. Make sure you're saying the rosary every day. And by the way, your prayer and study come together in the rosary. Why is the rosary such a powerful prayer? Because it has 53 Hail Marys. I say that many Hail Marys, God has to give me what I want. Right? Is that why the rosary is so important? No. Why is the rosary? I can often tell where I am with the rosary, where I am in the rosary, when we prayed, like when we were growing up, we prayed as a family. I knew what decade we were on by the altitude of people's heads. <laughs> First joyful mystery, second joyful mystery. <laughs> There's Aunt Edna asleep again. She never, she never made it through the fourth mystery. <laughs> when I was a kid, if I had a hard time falling asleep, come out of bed at night, Having a hard time sleeping, Mom. You know what they would say to me? Pray the rosary. <laughs> Why? Because I defy you to stay awake for an entire rosary. It cannot be done, I tell you. <laughs> but the rosary is not supposed to be spiritual NyQuil. <laughs> That's not the rosary. All right? What are you supposed to do when you say the Hail Marys? You're supposed to be meditating on what? The mysteries on the stories in Scripture. The problem is, if you don't know the stories in Scripture and you don't know what they mean, you don't have much to think about. The fourth joyful mystery, the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple. Our Father. <laughs> Jesus and Mary and Joseph in the temple. Hail Mary. It's the presentation. What does that mean? They're presenting him. Now presenting the Messiah. No, it's not right. Hail Mary. Did something like a priest, was this a circumcision? I think it's a circumcision. It's not. Hail Mary. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph is in the temple. I mean, are, because it's plural. I remember that. Mrs. Lampert, again, second grade. She taught me that. Hail Mary. She was so nice. She was old. Hail Mary. I wonder if she's still alive. She's probably dead now. Hail Mary. She had blue hair. Why did she have blue hair? Hail Mary. I wonder if they buried her at that cemetery that was near the Catholic school. Hail Mary. She smelled. Glory be. What? We're done? What happened? Huh? This is how, this, have, have you ever had experiences? I remember praying the rosary with a kid, as a kid. This, if you don't know what the presentation of the child Jesus is all about, if you don't know that story, if you don't know the meaning of the story, what are you thinking about for 10 Hail Marys? It's really hard to stay focused. And if you learn something about it, that gets exciting for about, oh, I don't know, about two rosaries. And then you get distracted again. But the more you study the scriptures, the more you'll want to pray the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple because the scriptures are an inexhaustible well. You could study it your entire life and never come to the end of the meaning. You can never exhaust 
the meaning of that story. But if you stop studying, you're going to have a hard time praying. Pope Paul VI said that the rosary without meditation is like a body without a soul. You know what you call a body without a soul? A corpse. You want to pray a dead rosary, don't think about the mysteries. Just say the words. John Paul II says, the rosary, precisely because it starts with Mary's own experience, is an exquisitely contemplative prayer. Without this contemplative dimension, it would lose its meaning. As Paul, Pope Paul VI clearly pointed out, without contemplation, the rosary is a body without a soul, and its recitation runs the risk of becoming a mechanical repetition of formulas in violation of the admonition of Christ in praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. By its nature, the recitation of the rosary calls for a quiet rhythm and a lingering pace. If you're praying the auction rosary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, holy Mary, mother of God, <laughs> if that's how you're praying the rosary, you can't possibly meditate. Right? My kids, they wanna, sometimes they want to get through the rosary and they start praying faster. I start feeling like speeded up slowly while we're praying. I'm like, I can't even think about the mystery anymore. I'm just trying to keep up with you guys. Slow it down. You can't meditate if you're, if you're talking that fast. It's not the horse race, you know? Coming around the third, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about horse racing. <laughs> I can't even make it up. All right, anyway. By its nature, the recitation of the rosary calls for a quiet, quiet pace and a, a, quiet, a quiet rhythm and a lingering pace. I should slow down myself when I read this. Helping the individual to meditate on the mysteries of the Lord's life as seen through the eyes of her who is closest to him. Ever had that experience? You're praying the rosary? Hail Mary, full is that a spider on the wall? <laughs> no, that's just a spot. <laughs> Hail Mary, that's a spider. Have you heard that before? You get easy. You want to not get distracted in prayer? Study. Study and prayer go together, right? So we can't do anything apart from Christ, which means we can't do anything apart from prayer. But prayer isn't just talking at God. It has to be listening to him. And you can't hear him speak to you if you don't open up the Bible. If you don't open up the scriptures, we only read the scriptures at Mass. There's a reason for that. He is speaking to us at Mass. Prepare for Mass every day. There's a great AI app, Bible app. has the daily readings on it. I didn't even know about this until Dr. Gray showed it to me like three weeks ago. It's fantastic. It has the daily readings. You can go right there. And you can see the daily readings. It's amazing. Get up. Start your prayers. Go to the daily readings. Say, Lord, speak to me. What do you want me to hear in, in these readings? Or something else but you can't do anything apart from him. You can't hear him without scripture. But the more you pour yourself into scripture study and the more you pour yourself into theology, the more you will love him. Because the more you know him, the more you'll love him. And the more you love him, the more you'll want to know about him. Let's end with a brief prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your word, the word made flesh, your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to come and make known to us in the fullness of time all that we need to know about you. You come to share with us who you are and to invite us into your inner life. We ask you to send the same Holy Spirit upon us that descended upon Christ in the Jordan. That same Holy Spirit who descended on the Blessed Mother at the Annunciation. That same Holy Spirit who inspired the authors of Scripture to give us the desire to learn from you so that we can be transformed, so that we can be renewed in our minds, so that we can become disciples and love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for your patience. You guys are great.
We hope you've enjoyed this presentation from Dr. Michael Patrick Barber. If you would like to hear more of these inspiring talks, we invite you to visit lighthousecatholicmedia.org and enroll yourself or a friend in our CD or MP3 Download of the Month Club. Lighthouse Talks are brought to you by the Augustan Institute. To learn more about the mission of the Augustan Institute and to help support our other faith-filled products for individuals and parishes, please visit themissioncircle.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you and your family.